Hello and welcome to another Sustainable Wine podcast. This is a recording of a conference session that took place as part of our Sustainable Wine Packaging Conference on the 23rd of June 2021 as a virtual event. It was kindly sponsored by BSI, the British Standards Institution. Thanks so much to them for their support. So I'm Pauline Vicard, I'm uh, the director of Arini Global, which is a research and action institute dedicated to the future of fine wine. That's quite a mouthful, but basically what we do is we've identified six big picture forces of change and we we study them and try to see how, like the potential to impact um, uh, the future of our ecosystem. Uh, You're more than welcome to join our free newsletter if you want to receive any of the publication or the research that we're doing. Um, and, and throughout you know, the four years of research that, that we've been, that we've been um, leading, we've identified four key notions that to us are really important to future-proof our ecosystem. And those notions are diversity, agility, sustainability, and purpose. And looking at the panel that we've got today to answer some key questions, I would also add creativity because um, I was very inspired uh, looking out at all of you guys and what you've been doing. And, and congratulations first, because there's a lot of um, energy coming um, into that question of packaging and transport for wine. Um, so our topic this afternoon, just after lunch break, is how can we reduce the impact of wine distribution? And just as I mentioned, we're going to focus the discussion on two, you know, two big parts, which is on packaging and on transport and, and, and logistics. Um, so it's a conversation. Please ask all the questions that you want in the chat. I'll try to redirect them directly to the panelists, or we can also save them at the end, depending on how they fit into um, the conversation. But without further ado, just to introduce you quickly to our panel today, we've got Mikael Alborgetti with us, who's the CEO and founder of Ethic Drinks. And I can take my French accent with Mikael because you're based in France and we share some Burgundy roots together. Um, and Ethic Drinks is, is a company that source wines that are sustainably, sustainably produced, but also have come, you know, put them, package them in an eco packaging. We'll have some, uh, we'll have the occasion to talk about it a bit later and then ship them in very creative ways as well. Uh, we've got Sam Wet. Sorry for your family name. I hope it's okay, Sam. Um, Sam, you founded Flexi Hex, uh, which is a patented honeycomb um, design made from paper. So basically, in- instead of putting everything that you've got to ship into plastic, you put them in a sustainable packaging, which is strong, adaptable, and biodegradable. Again, sorry for the French accent there. Uh, Richard, thanks for being uh, with us today. Richard Hellison, who's the managing director of Wonderlust Wines. And we also have Nicola Ritzi from uh, Modal Wines. And you guys share a lot because you source sustainable wines that you import into the UK. Um, they can be sustainably farmed, uh, often organic or biodynamically certified, but also made with love and care. I actually like that on the, on the website description as well. So thank you all for being with us. And I mean, I've got loads of questions. I'm sure you guys will have for each other as well. But my first question to launch the conversation uh, today was for you, Miguel, because um, I always like starting with definition. And when we talk about you know, trying to reduce the impact of wine distribution and sustainable packaging, just wanted to ask you, what is sustainable packaging for you? What's, what's 
the notion behind them and what does it cover? So yeah, that's a very good question, Pauline. And I think we could get maybe 10 definition of what is sustainable packaging uh, in the wine business and in other parts. I mean, we see sustainable in every ads on TV nowadays. Um, we, we define athletic drinks uh, or sustainability, which means we want to, if a product uh, that we sell end up in wildlife, we don't want that product to damage the wildlife. That's part of sustainability. And we don't want that product coming from uh, a source that is not sustainable, like from petrol um, and from a non-recyclable material. Um, and we try to promote sustainable mat uh, recycled material uh, as well. So um, sustainability is the world chain. Uh, we really tackle the carbon as part of reducing uh, Talking sustainability, having a zero carbon impact, it's uh, it's very important to us. And also removing the plastic, uh, I think, you know, plastic, we cannot talk plastic and sustainable. I think is those two words as to, cannot work together. And uh, and also working with, if we talk about farming, uh, farming is that we call sustainable that doesn't use uh, a pesticide and allow the, the wildlife and the soil to be alive and, uh, and resilient. So it's both in the source of the material that you use, so making sure that they're renewable, but also it's taking care of the, you know, the end life of the product. So what does it happen if it happens, you know, if it ends up in, in, in nature? Um, and again, as I was explaining, maybe I wasn't really clear, but you've got that very, you know, um, it, it's kind of unique that you've designed the packaging, you do your own label and everything from the bottle to the label to the cardboard, everything that you've put together, you've, you've put it together through that idea of sustainable sustainability. How hard was it? Like compared to, you know, when you came together uh, for Essing drinks, what what were the biggest challenge compared to, you know, just have a normal classic wine packaging? What are the points that you had to mostly look for? The hardest was uh, to learn not to trust uh, the people selling their dry goods uh, because they don't know what sustainability is. They just will sell you what they've been told by their marketing team. Uh, so what we did is we, we visited factories. Uh, we really learned how the product were made um, and also how it was recycled. So we also visited some recycle uh, uh, site to make sure that indeed it was recycled. Uh, if cork was a was very interesting topic for us, uh, we looked at you know you know the plastic cork from uh, cane sugar without putting any name. Um, some conversation where yeah this is recyclable from them, but if you call the recycle site, they won't recycle because it's too light. So it was to to make sure that um, the marketing from the product was right, and uh, and also we looked at. French cork, but if you look at French cork, they had to go to Portugal. So the carbon impact was actually not that good. So it was really to analyze all the cycle uh, product life and to make sure we were on the right path. That was the, the challenging part of it. Uh, and, and as often with sustainability, is trying to get that you know, big picture, where do I start, how complex the topic is, and how does, you know, sometimes there's not one ideal, but there's two bad, so which one is worse and which one is, is best, so really do um, do that due, due diligence. 
Sam, you also started your company with the same, you know, one of the same starting points that Mikael, which is, I don't want my packaging to end up in the sea because um, you guys are sea lovers and I think you're very involved in sea life as well. Um, and one of your goal was to remove plastic from the sea. Can you tell us a bit more about your product in particular and how you thought about the, the life cycle of it? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, um, yeah, ex exactly right. We're, we're, we have sort of like, um, we've been surfing kind of um, uh, sort of over 30 years and sort of have seen the effect of kind of plastic in the marine environment. And the product was actually initially developed for surfboards, for packaging surfboards off the back of a poor experience of receiving a surfboard covered in kind of reams and reams of bubble wrap. But um, so, yeah, we developed FlexiHex, which is 100% paper-based and made of 100% recycled um, content. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an adaptable, flexible sleeve, which, which, which forms over objects and protects objects, basically. So, yeah, we initially developed for surfboards and then um, transferred and, and refined and developed a, a product for, for, for the drinks market. And um, so, yeah, I think the, the focus was the, the industry is dominated by kind of inflatable or plastic-based solutions, whether that's EPS or, or inflatable. So um, in, in the protective packaging market, so yeah, FlexiX was very much a focus on, on kind of um, paper being kind of easily recy recyclable as a material. And also very, it gives very clear kind of communication cues to consumers um, in, in how they can recycle the product. Um, often obviously kind of wine arrives in a box. So if, if the protective pocket packaging element inside that box is the same material, it's much easier to recycle. We, and we also have a kind of focus on reusing the product as well, where you can, whether it's in returns or um, saving the, the packaging for, because it, it flat packs and it's very low volume. So, yeah. And, and so I had a question maybe, well, to you, Sam, in particular, but maybe also for, for, for the rest of the panel. Since COVID had started, one of the conversations that we had, you know, something that we've seen um, and so many have seen also in restaurants is, you know, before we went quite happily away from plastic, but with COVID, plastic had that kind of resurgence, like everyone went back to plastic container because it was so safe, because it was so healthy compared to other form of containers. Is, is the recent pandemic changing anything for you guys? Like, do you, how, how do we balance that, that the, the, the recent re-attraction for plastic when it's in that kind of um, situation? Yeah, really, really good question. I think for, from our point of view, we actually saw the direct opposite. I think plastic, plastic is a brilliant material. We can't deny that. And, you know, especially from a sort of hygiene point of view, it's, it's a superb material. So we, 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 know, we know that, but, but we are fighting an issue around the kind of problem, problems of being able to recycle plastic. And businesses are aware of that and, and they are hyper aware that consumers are aware of that. So what we found, we, we, we you know, had spikes in activity, you know, on, on every kind of lockdown because obviously, um, uh, you know, wine merchants and, and um, kind of um, and distilleries all, all were trying to find kind of routes to market direct to, you know, to their consumer via um, 
without going through the traditional routes to market. So, so and uh, packaging is is effectively that retail, you know, that retail kind of like space for them and how that what consumers consumers first impression of, of opening their parcel and their brand. So we, we've seen a sort of, you say, a kind of growth and spike in, in, in activity. Uh, and it hasn't, it hasn't affected, and, and the businesses um, are still very much focused. We were expecting kind of uh, businesses to be, um, like you say, kind of maybe going for the kind of quickest, sort of quickest, sort of most cost-effective solutions. Um, but um, but it didn't, didn't appear to be the case from, from our point of view. And, and also we're not working with food or, you know, perishable materials. So maybe the fear of non-hygienic for wine was a bit less than when you work with food and, and, and delivery, um, yeah. delivery of food. Um, Richard and Nicola, a question for you, for you both now, because um, when, when we work with importers, it's, it's great to see that many of them in the UK have done so much effort in, in selecting and curating how they source through um, the sustainability of the practice in the vineyard or in the cellar. But sometimes we end the conversation there and, and just you know take care of, about how the wine is made, but maybe not how the wine is um, distributed and, and the supply chain and also the packaging. Is that a question? Like, how do you integrate that notion of sustainable packaging and sustainable transport uh, when choosing the wineries that you list? Is that something that you pay particular attention to? How does that work? Yeah, maybe maybe I'll go first. Um, so we, you know, we're, we're a, I guess, a, an importer that specializes in um, in wines that at the very, very minimum are made using organic practices, biodynamics, and then, you know, way above and beyond that. But a big part of how we select producers um, is also with regards to their general attitude and their general philosophies uh, towards sustainability. So, of course, you know, that process starts in the vineyard, but like you said, it can very often just end there. And so for us, it's more of a question of, you know, the, the guys who we tend to work with, um, sustainability is part of the whole ethos of everything that they do. So it's it's very rare that we have to tell a producer, you know, could you use lighter bottles or would you mind switching to, you know, a different type of packaging for this or for that. Um, however, those are active conversations that we do have. So, you know, one of the things that we do, for example, is we, um, we request from all the growers that all of the wines be sent to the UK with no capsules. Um, we work with some producers where we're slowly getting them to switch to tapeless boxes. Um, and these are things that sometimes producers don't necessarily think about, but it's like a, it's kind of a no brainer. You know, it's like we have that conversation once. And then next thing I know, like a few months later, the, the boxes have changed and they're using less ink or, um, you know, the, the, so some of them have stopped using capsules altogether. Some of them just do it for us and send wines to other markets with capsules. But I would say generally it's an easy conversation for us to have because of the philosophy of these growers to begin with. It's not something that's hard to convince these people of because that's something they fully believe in anyway. And if we tell them, you know, there's still this belief, for example, with capsules that wines have to have capsules. There's a certain aesthetic and shops won't buy the wines and, and this and that. So it's kind of our job to convince them otherwise um, and to, to kind of make them understand that and try and then spread that influence to, to other markets as well. Um, so I would say we don't choose a producer because of their ethos for packaging, but that tends to come with their general philosophy. 
Yeah, for me, Pauline, um, I mean, very similar to Nick, I mean, the, the ethos of the people that make the wines is, is incredibly important. I have to say, I, I've often found that they, they, they're not thinking macro, they're not thinking about, it goes into the market, what is the supply chain in the UK, in the US, in Scandinavia, in Japan, or wherever else they're selling. So um, Nick's absolutely right, you know, that they have to take it in their stride with understanding that sustainability doesn't just end when they bottle it and, and sell it to the UK, and they need to do what they can, but they often try, and I think I found, sort of say, well, that is sort of your bag now because you've got the wine, and everyone knows that, you know, unless you're buying, you know, really, really expensive fine wine, the boxes that they ship in are really quite thin, and don't offer protection unless they're fully wrapped in a pallet. So anything that comes in then has an ongoing supply chain problem with needs to be repacked so it's safe, so it can get to the end consumer. So the big thing for me, I think, um, <clears throat> you know, especially with the explosion in, in consumer home, home deliveries, uh, I mean, we did that before COVID, but obviously it's really ramped up since and stayed. Um, part of the sustainability and overall supply chain to make it sustainable is pretty much getting it there first time and delivered first time you know if it breaks because you use boxes that are a little bit lighter and if they're not in five times and that van's got to come back out to their house five times there's an overall huge huge impact so i think overall on a macro level it's actually a much bigger problem than the producers maybe consider or choose not to consider um, and for us thinking about that, we've had to integrate different things to just try and get it delivered first time to low, lower breakage, um, lower breakage points, uh, at every point possible. Um, and that means repacking it actually, um, for, you know, 80 to 90% of our stuff is repacked into, into stuff that won't smash, uh, which includes Sam's stuff, for example, has been a big hit with our, our customers knowing that we're investing in something when they get it, which is one, attractive, but two, has meant the wine gets there first time without without the parcel force thrown out the window or something, which they like to do. Yeah, yeah, we've all had those deliveries. <laughs> um, and and have you like so it's it's still you that initiate those conversations, or do you also see more and more wineries coming to you and saying, you know, what what are you doing? You know, we want to make sure that our wines are distributed in you know, sustainable way? What are you guys doing? Are you asked more and more about, about that? Sorry, I don't know why my video turned off. Uh, I, I'm not, I don't know about you, Nick, but um, I think I think all they want to know is how's it going and what can we do to support you? But in, I think they often then try and say, well, for me anyway, they often will sort of say, well, it's up to you to work out how you deliver and, and how you want to be there. And I think the way that consumers definitely also see they buy into whatever you're doing or not doing. Um, yeah. And and Sam and Mikael, something that I've seen in, in both your company presentation is, you know, the world is moving, technology are advancing, and, you know, we do whatever we can to the best of our ability today, but we know that maybe tomorrow we'll be able to do even more with more technology. When it comes to packaging, are there any areas in your own company that you think you will be able to improve in the future to, to again, like what's what's the next step in, in being even more sustainable when it comes to packaging? Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a really, it's a really good point. Um, I think, I think, 
you know, we're a startup. We've been going since 2018. We're now kind of like a 12-strong team and, um, and starting to have conversations with, with some global brands, which is super exciting for FlexiHex, you know, across kind of multiple different market sectors, not just drinks, but, you know, electronics, furniture, surfboards, yeah, and a number of different markets. And we, we are constantly kind of like evaluating kind of like how sustainable we are and how we can improve our sustainability. I think one aspect it's, um, is, is materials and looking, the, looking at the materials. Um, paper is, you know, is, is, a, is a sustainable material. In fact, it can be recycled. It, it also can be made from, you know, 100% recycled content, so you're not cutting down trees. Um, but I think, I think uh, sort of uh, an area we're, we're looking very closely at is, is fast-growing crops and looking at making papers from things like grasses and also hemp. Um, which is, you know, original uh, paper originated from hemp. So it's the, all the technology and sort of like it's a very, very suitable kind of plant. And it's, it's it, it sort of, um, it, it um, yeah, it, it, it's much quicker growing, much more sustainable, um, needs kind of like takes out less, um, uses up less car- carbon in the production of it and also less chemicals as well. So I think, I think it will be, from our point of view, it will be, um, looking and analyzing and, and, and working kind of with um, paper producers and, and, and material producers who, who are sort of creating, yeah, you know, push, pushing kind of the technology and innovation in that space and then utilizing obviously those materials within our, within our product. And, and Mikael, same, same question. If you had a, a magic wand and you could change anything, you know, within the packaging, not the transport, we'll talk about transport later, but just the packaging part, what, what would it be? Packaging, I mean, technology uh, will be reuse of glass for us uh, in France. That's a huge part. And in terms of, uh, yeah, it's not technology, but the was um, Richard was saying, Uh, athletic drinks in France, we don't do any fast delivery, for example, and we don't deliver to private home uh, because it's part of it's a huge part of carbon. We do only to relay, relay point, point. Uh, but reuse of glass uh, that will be a big thing for for the wine industry in France. And that's that's a ni- nice tie into my last question on on packaging. And that's a question that we had, actually, I've done, I've done loads of consumer facing events talking about, you know, sustainability, what they understand about sustainability in the global context. And, and we had that question, like, you know, in recent months with all the online tasting and online wine purchases that they've, they've hugely increased um, for, for all channels, like brick and mortar retailers selling um, directly to the consumers or, or newcomers selling online. Um, How, you know, how can we deal with the challenges that these new consumption patterns are bringing? Because we were also happy in the wine industry to say, yeah, finally, the wine's gone digital and people are buying online and they even do wine tasting online. So you can receive samples. And but um, and, and I had these questions, which I don't know how to answer, but how sustainable it is to organize um you know, remote wine tasting and send, you know, small samples compared to have one trade event where you open a bottle and everyone come in. Um, I don't, it's a very global question, but what does the, what does the change in consumption mode from the consumer changes in terms of challenges and opportunities for, for the packaging being sustainable and what are the big things that we need to be careful about? 
I don't know if Richard and Nicola, you want to take that one. Sorry, that was a long uh, question. <laughs> yeah, for me, yeah, it's a, a difficult question with lots of layers to it. Yes. Uh, I think I'll just start <laughs> off with the idea of, I mean, one of our producers has moved to, uh, she makes a biodynamic Chenin in, in, in Loire in the north of France, and she's moved to bottle that same really high quality product in a bag in box, you know, totally recyclable. And it's the same high quality product. And actually, uh, whilst it's very early days, it seems to have been really well received because people are thinking, they're actually making the choice. Do I want the heavy glass? Do I want the lighter recyclable cardboard? It is exactly the same product. And as long as you consume it in the next six months, which it's meant to be, uh, it will still taste the same. Um, and for restaurants, I mean, that's roughly a, a two pound per bottle saving. And it's huge on a 10 pound bottle of wine. Um, so, so yeah, it's, 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 it's a, that for me has been, been something really interesting that's come out recently. But also, I think the canned, canned drinks option as well, um, you know, it's, it's providing more flexibility. And we're seeing seeing a lot of movement there in America, for example, and now England is starting to get onto the trend. So I personally would like to see a lot more options for us as the merchants to be able to buy, you know, not just how heavy is the glass, what's the glass, but actually maybe a range of different materials that are recyclable. Um, convincing them to do that and obviously going through the tests of does it last the same, is it the same quality, and all those different questions that they're going to have is a different, is a different matter, but... Um, that's that's for me the first thing that popped into my mind, Pauline, is yeah the movement to the different options versus glass. Miguel, is that something that you're looking to like different formats and also? Um, sorry, because as as Richard was saying, there was so many questions in my question. But have you done anything about you know samples and and remote wine tastings and you know sending those smaller formats at home for people, or is that something that you haven't haven't done? Yes, we. I mean, it's a very complex question, as as uh, as Richard said. Um, global, the the wine carb the carbon of wine last year was nowhere uh, because we used to travel so much to vineyards to and even consumer. I mean, touristic of wine, it's a big part of emissions. So I think testing at home, I think we have a smaller impact in terms of carbon, and also it depends if you use plastic to wrap up all the bottle sample. I've been receiving so much plastic from even organic producer. Uh, but if we use uh, some technology to send, you know, s uh, light bottle sample uh, to testing at home, I think it's going to be a, have a better impact than, you know, taking a plane and traveling to uh, the vineyard. Even if you don't have the magic for some part, it's pretty good. And we use, uh, we use can. We're going to develop can. We, uh, bagging box for us is not an option because it's plastic. And even if technically it's recyclable, um, there is very few that are really recycled. Uh, because you need to remove the box from the plastic and uh, the V-top is not recycled well. So yeah, can, can as a, I think for wine industry is going to be a big change because it's totally recyclable and it's light and it doesn't, and you can keep that for two years. So yeah, can in a wine is going to be big for sure, for sustainability. Nicolas, do, do you want to add anything to that? Sorry, you on you on mute. Sorry about that. Gotta get used to that. Um, so to answer your question about the, you know, you mentioned about Zoom tastings and small samples and, and stuff like that. So we we never really went down that road. Um, 
we, we do very little direct to consumer. Uh, you know, a big part of what we do is, um, is you know, sales to, to, to the trade. So restaurants, wine shops, um, bars um, and all that. But, for, you know, of course, we, we couldn't go and visit our customers um, over lockdown. You know, in, obviously in, in a couple of cases, it was three or four months in a row. Um, we did do Zoom tastings um, with our trade customers, but a big part of that was to basically add on samples onto other deliveries. So, um, you know, if they would place an order, we would add a few samples and then we would get on, you know, arrange to get on Zoom and taste the bottles together. So we, we never really split samples into smaller containers. Um, we, you know, we were not really set up in a way to do a lot of direct to consumer business. So even though we do have a, a web shop, which is something that we only launched uh, in the first lockdown, um, we don't promise uh, speed or efficiency or, um, you know, we also have a very high minimum spend on our web shop. You know, we would rather, um, which is, you know, so if people are familiar with a lot of our wines and, and they want to buy wines on there because a lot of them are, you know, all there in one place that they can, that they can buy them. If they're okay to meet the, the kind of minimum spend, then that's fine, you know, because then it, it makes it more sustainable for us to, to ship to them. But otherwise we're very happy to direct people to um, some of our, uh, retail customers who are much better set up, have their own fulfillment warehouses, can um, can send, you know, smaller bottle packages more efficiently and in better packaging. You know, we, we don't have our own warehouse, so we are unable to control the sort of packaging, uh, you know, so if somebody has to repackage, take this single bottle, this single bottle, this single bottle, um, we can't control what's going to go into that box to protect it. Sometimes it's it's plastic air packs, sometimes it's other bits. So So we just choose not to really do that unless people are buying cases, which you know, obviously affects our direct-to-consumer business, but um, like I said, it's it's not a, a big focus for us. So um, something that we um, we're not in a position to to really work on 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 the sustainability of of that specific aspect. Um, so I wanted to go now. Thank you for all of this. I wanted to move to to the transport part because that's you know that's half of the problem. Half is being packaging and 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 how do you do to move bottle around and how can we reduce that? And and of course, carbon footprint is one of those big indicators that we all want to take down. And and Michael, you are working on a zero carbon distribution chain. And I and I was wondering, you know, first very simple question: How is it possible? And what were, you know, the easiest change to implement compared to a classic distribution chain that you think everyone should be able to do? Um, should they be aware of how simple it is? Yeah, so it's um, it's not easy to to work on a on a zero supply chain. For example, for now in France, we have to do some choice. We're not delivering outside Bordeaux for a restaurant and caviste because in Bordeaux we're doing by bike. Uh, and we're working to develop our bike uh, delivery system in, in, big, in big cities. Um, and when we deliver to national accounts like Monopoly and Carrefour, we go to Bordeaux uh, to them by train. We use the train and we are working on a solution to use a sailboat to sell to the US uh, by next year. We are working on a 1,000 shipping boat sailboat. So we're going to reduce that. And all the wine coming to Bordeaux from our producer are, mo are moved by a truck running in biofuel made from <laughs> distilled grapes. That, does that mean that if you want to have a zero carbon distribution chain, then it has to be small scale? Or is there a way to scale that up to like larger operation? 
And the only you need you need the logistic. I mean, the only thing we need to we can use is train uh, if you want zero carbon on biofuel. But biofuel you have some emission or sailboat. So and and bike. Uh, but even you know, bike is gonna have some emission. Uh, sailboat is gonna have ninety less emission than regular. So you still have some emission. But you, we are compensating the the remaining of the emission on the on the chain. But you have to think the the global distribution uh, for zero carbon. Uh, which is the hard part for somebody already established is hard to switch everything yeah. to a zero carbon chain. Yeah, that was going to be my point is because you've started with that idea. So you, from the yeah. beginning, you could look at it. And and again, on my question of scale, do you, do you wish, I mean, do you wish to be bigger? That's a weird question. But do you think you'll be able to scale it, like, for example, to a national distribution system, just using all those mo modes of transport? Yeah, we we are. It's part of uh, second semester for us. We we are signing with a uh, with um, distribution. It's going to be by by uh, by bike, and we're going to get to the city by train. So yeah, we're this is scalable. But we're uh, we are wine. It's you know it's our topic today. But a lot of industry are willing to put back in place those train system that were working very efficiently. You know, forty years ago. And even sailboat, we are, I mean, sailboat is going to be, there is five or six projects of constructing big sailboat right now in the world. So things going to, it's not new technology, it's old technology. It's going to help us to go back to, you know, use of petrol is quite recent, it's like use of plastic. So we need to look at uh, past solution and make them better and easier for us. So. How, do, how long does it take to sell to the US with a um, sailboat? It's only, it's only one week more. Because the average okay. is 10 notes, uh, average of 10, 10, 10 take notes of travel. So it's not much longer uh, because the big, um, the big cargo ship have uh, reduced their speed uh, to lower their emission as well. So, and, uh, and with the increase of price of shipping, it's going to be more competitive. Uh, it's more expensive, yeah. but uh, okay. a lot of things going to happen in the next two years in, uh, in the shipping industry. And and my next question was going to be on 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 this because both you, uh, Michael and Sam, when you can't reduce your carbon emission, you plant trees. So in the way of you know decreasing the carbon from from the atmosphere. Um, and when and where it, is it um, impossible or very difficult to reduce the carbon emission in the supply chain at the moment? Like. At, what what part of the supply chain or the production or the production system do you have to count about with planting trees? Um, should I go first on that? One or um, so yeah, we, yeah. So we, we 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 offset as much as we we can. We're kind of um, carbon neutral as, as as a business, and we 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 we're we're doing that through kind of um, working with a company called Mossy Earth, um, rewilding and also replanting and reforesting, kind of. Um, both areas of the UK, Europe, and also Ireland, um, and I think it, it's 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 around the majority of the kind of the CO, I suppose the CO two and carbon is in the is in the production of the paper, and for us it's also again it's this it's this small steps as a business. Um, we we currently manufacture in Asia, but we are as we are scaling up as a business, we we very much are kind of focused on creating kind of um, manufacturing at a local level um, um, and regional levels to be able to sort of reduce reduce the kind of um, the, the the requirement for sh shipping. Um, 
So in a number of conversations with companies both in the US and also throughout Europe as well to be able to localize the manufacturing of the product. But yeah, currently the, the, the majority of the CO2 is, is, is in the production. But yeah, why would not say and there's, there's something to your point, Miguel, also there's something um, in the chat. Thank you, Paul, for, for putting it there. But, you know, that we discussed in carbon emission with the supply chain, but also when we discuss transportation, there's all of the polluants and the polluting gas as well that transportation do. So your solution about bicycle and, and sailboats also touch base on, on that and not a not. Not only do they not emit carbon dioxide, but they do not emit um, uh, all the polluting gas. Also. Yeah, yeah. But if you, yeah, if you reduce carbon, you most of there's a lot of chance you reduce the other part of it. So, uh, and to answer your question, where is it impossible? It's from uh, right now. It's the glass. Still, we have an emission with the glass, and it's also short distance uh, on the countryside. There is where there is no train, I mean, no river, um, no bike is fun, but, you know, 300 kilometers. Uh, and to get the wine from the winery, even if it's biofuel, you, are st you still have some emission uh, with biofuel. And actually biofuel, there is much less CO2 and less NOx, but you have some NOx in biofuel. Um, so, yeah, short distance is not, uh, not still an issue. But we hope by with the movement of electric, we'll be able to reduce... Uh, the carbon emission uh, by the moving part, but you know, to make electricity, it's then it's another conversation that we need to have. It's, how do you and, make the electricity? And 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 Sam and Mike, Michael, have you measured like how many trees you must like? What's the weight of CO two for one tree? Like the ratio between CO two and tree? Is there something as simple as that as a as a map? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, to give you an example, last year we we uh, we emit 150 ton of CO2 and we planted two hectares of tree in Centimillion, which is about 500 trees. Okay. Uh, but it depends the type of tree, the region, and how long uh, we are. We have a contract that the tree is going to remove, going to be there for at least 40 years. Okay, so also uh, a long term for the tree. Yeah, yeah, if you don't do long term, planting trees is no. useless. That's the really big part of it. But yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's not so much. I mean, it's not uh, if every company were doing that, it would be a better world. We'll we'll have trees everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> um. Again, same question for you both. The question that I've asked you on packaging, on 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 technology. Um. And Miguel, you were thinking about you know the next two years there will be a lot of development. Um. How long do we still have to wait to have a 100% CO2 and NOx-free supply chain? Is that ever possible? And if so, when? Sam, you want to start? <laughs> um, that's a really good question. I mean, I think it's about, it's about every, 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 all companies and consumers kind of pushing in the right direction. It's very hard to give a kind of like a time frame to that. But I think, as you say, um, and yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't want to put time frame to to that. But I think it, it, you know panelists here are sort of showing that that it, it, it is possible to kind of make some seismic changes within the business. And you know, as long as consumers are are responding by buying from those companies, um, and you keep kind of pushing the technologies and the boundaries of what's possible to make the 
the business even more sustainable kind of every quarter, you know, um, then there's no reason why we can't be, you know, carbon neutral, 100% carbon neutral in the supply chain, even without potentially having to, yeah, you know, um, offset as well. So. And, and Nicola and Richard, putting all those good intentions and, and, and very positive idea to the reality of the supply chain and to importing wines and every and you know every one of us that has been working in the trade and has you know been trying to work with supply chain in the recent months um, there's been a lot of challenges for various different reasons containers stuck in canal and you know china not not giving us any container to come to europe and and, and all of that how you know how has the last few months been for you guys, like, what's the situation in terms of the, the the pressure and the power that you can have on the supply chain? Has the have the last few months make it easier for you to be sustainable through the supply chain, or the reverse? Like, we so stuck that we have kind of to take what we have. Um, I think um, I. I in, in a way, I wouldn't say it's made it easier. I mean, logistics have gotten way more complicated. Um, you know, it's the double whammy of Brexit uh, and pandemic. And, and like you mentioned, shortage of containers, short, even shortage of drivers. Um, I mean, even domestically, you know, they, we have like a bit of a haulage yeah. crisis around the country, um, uh, not only for importing wines, but also delivering them. Um, I would say, you know, one thing that we've done uh, progressively over the years. It's something that's always been in the back of our minds, but it's, you know, it took a little while to get to a certain size where we were able to do this. But um, when we started, I remember speaking with some other importers and you know, this was four years ago. And the idea back then was, you know, ship, ship little and often, you know, that was kind of like the, the business savvy way of, uh, of doing things. And it's something that we've completely moved away from. And so over the last like two, three years, I would say the idea has been to ship a lot less, but a lot more. Um, and of course, part of that has involved um, negotiations and discussions with our with our growers, with our suppliers, um, you know, the extension of credit terms, um, working around cash flow to be able to do that. So whereas we used to maybe ship monthly from certain producers, um, we're trying to work to like quarterly at most, um, maybe even less sometimes. I mean, we have some... We've been able to build quite a bit of goodwill with with, uh, with a few producers over the years, um, but but even with some new producers who just are, are really um, whose ethos and whose philosophies are very much aligned with us uh, with ours, you know, uh, working with certain credit terms to be able to take much larger shipments um, at once and combining and hence you know reducing our emissions in in the long term. Now to address your specific question about you know whether the last few months have made that uh, easier. I mean, in a way, you because lead times are all over the place now. So whereas it used to take, you know, two weeks, three weeks to ship from, you know, from France or from Germany, door to door, we're now looking at, you know, uh, in the best of cases, three to four weeks. But we've seen shipments take up, you know, upwards of eight, nine, sometimes even ten weeks. I mean, it's been horrifying in in, in some instances. So. Um, when you're working with those sorts of lead times, you kind of puts you in a position where you don't really have a choice but to, you know, combine these these shipments anyway. So if we were still in the mindset of what we were doing when we first started, which was just, you know, ship a pallet here, a pallet there, um, there's no way we'd be able to do that now based on the lead times that we're experiencing. So, you know, you'd have to have like three orders in transit at one time from the same producer. So like that, that whole concept no longer makes sense. So if you want to have a, 
uh, a sustainable business, not only from a sustainability standpoint, but also just financial standpoint and having stock here that you can provide to your customers, you kind of forced to take these much larger shipments anyway. So it's not that it's made it, it's definitely not made it easier. Nothing's been easier <laughs> over the last few months. Um, but the whole idea of how we've been operating anyway uh, for the last few years has, you know, the, it's made that even more important nowadays um, in order to try and really group shipments um, and even combine shipments from producers who are near each other. So we're basically, we're getting them to ship stock to, you know, a, a nearby region and then kind of grouping shipments and taking it there. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a big part of trying to navigate uh, what's happening with, with just transportation in general um, nowadays. Richard? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to say it was a rosier picture than Nick, which is why I let him go f first there and didn't die. <laughs> Thank uh, you. It's, it's, uh, it, it, it's the life of an important moment is not nice. Uh, you're seeing more and more. Uh, yeah, I mean, we only really launched off trade last year of selling to other merchants and bits, but you see just more and more of it now because no one wants to bother with all the hassle that's attached to it with uh, extra paperwork and all the shipment stuff. Um yeah, exactly the same lead times as, as Nick, where you're looking at best case four weeks from Europe, even north of France, which is just unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, and now four months from America. And we have a lot of American producers. So four months is, is you know, <laughs> third of a year. So um, the supply chain feels like it's really under pressure at the moment. And it does feel a bit like post-2010, global financial crisis where the world is sort of trying to get back on its feet. Every single part of that chain is, is trying to get back to where it used to be, but it's just really struggling. Uh, it's almost like everyone just needs to take a breath for a few weeks. And But uh, do you, do you see them, the company, because some of the logistic companies and, and, you know, big suppliers and containers, they had also started to put some sustainability approach to that, um, to them. Do you see them continuing this and using that to, okay, because it's such a mess, let's rework everything and work our part of the supply chain in a more sustainable way? Or because everything is such a mess, it's like, well, you know, we'll take, we'll take care of sustainability when we will be able to. Oh, right now, you don't have a choice, really. I mean, there, there are no ships coming out of America. Like, you just can't yeah. even get a booking. So, like Nick said, this isn't, uh, it, it's not as two dimensional as just saying, you know, what's the carbon footprint? Who do you choose to use? It's, you know, also about financial sustainability and economic sustainability, social sustainability for producers you work with and what their projects do in their local areas. Like, there are, there are loads of different knock on effects of sustainability in different avenues. Um, yeah, and I, I think I think the industry has to put more pressure on. You know, for me, the the big impact here, as well as yeah, the big shipments that are coming over now, is is actually all those fleets of vehicles out there. Still, a tiny portion either run on electric or are more sustainable in a way. Um, so yeah, we we can look at the big macro who's sending the ships over in the seas, but also I think I still think about the consumers here, and it's still all being driven around on 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 petrol vehicles. Um, it's very hard for smaller importers, um, you know, turning over, you know, a relatively small amount compared to the big guys to put pressure on those firms. Uh, and there's still a big gap for me in, in, in that part of the industry to do courier services well and sustainably. 
Um, but yeah, at the moment, it, 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 it really is difficult because it's a case of if you choose potentially the most sustainable option, you'll have no wine and the customers won't have the ability to get it. Um, and I mean, that's not something we're, we're really focusing on on this session about, you know, how much would a customer pay to be sustainable, to be a little bit more sustainable. But it's definitely a consideration when at the end of the day, Nick and I are just trying to earn a, a relatively modest wage as a small wine merchant. Uh, it's bloody hard. Yeah. Um, so to try and to try and take a financial risk to be a little bit more sustainable is has to be a consideration. So if you have to then let one person go to do that, I mean, it's yeah, that there's tough decisions that need to be made. So and, yeah. and, and as always with sustainability, there's not one good, easy, perfect answer. There's so many things to take into consideration. One of the most complicated questions that I had to answer in consumer facing. Um, um, event and I'm going to throw it out there knowing particularly well that I'm working with two importers but consumers were like well shouldn't we just stop consuming importing wines like should we should we just consume locally produced wine could that be a solution to be more sustainable and I know that there was a question in the chat also um, uh, about you know, smaller, shorter supply chain, local consumption. I guess the situation in France could be slightly different. But when we are in the UK and we have kind of have to import wine, how do we manage that idea of like shorter supply chain, local consumption? How does that? Yeah. How do you integrate that notion? Uh, I think, well, I'll give that, you know, my perspective as a as an importer, like you said, Um, I think I think it's a difficult one. Of course, it's a question I think that would be a lot easier to answer if we were based in, in a country like France or Italy or Spain, where uh, I mean, I think France is a great example. You know, there's a huge, huge percentage of local consumption, which is purely based on, on French wine. And I think it's it makes sense because France has such an incredible variety to offer in terms of the local market market. And, you know, you could drink. French wine for the rest of your life and have a, a different wine and a different style and from probably a different region, you know, every single week of your life. So um, the thing with, with living in the UK is, um, yes, the UK does produce wine. And I think the quality of wine in the UK is, is of course, you know, getting better and better every year. But then you have to ask yourself the question as well is, you know, how, how much, um, how much of, of being eco then becomes a bit of a luxury, you know? And I think that's a very important question because ultimately UK wine is, quite expensive you know the average price of a, of a UK produced bottle is very expensive so who are we to say that you should drink UK wine and not the you know six quid bottle of, of wine from Chile that you can buy in, in, in your off license you know ultimately wine should be for everybody and I think the minute you start introducing in the UK I'm talking you know this, this idea of trying to drink locally and reduce the chain then you know you, there's the danger of introducing a bit of a, a kind of a slightly snobbish concept into there in, into into the things because then you take wine out of the the realm of accessibility and and then it doesn't become this whole idea of wine for everybody um, and, and and also that that funny idea and I've, i don't have data but i remember when i was a, a wine merchant in france that sometimes the local delivery is more you know because you use lorries and 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 trucks to deliver in short term as was um Miguel was saying and that short term delivery short short length delivery sometimes requires more carbon emission than you know uh, going by train to to a different country so it's also sometimes the, the shorter supply chain is not always the more sustainable in some ways 
Um, yeah, but, but and then also I think another concept is that you know we have to remember why people drink wine, and you know I think a big part of why you drink wine is is you you almost kind of travel through wine. You know, it's about learning about local culture. It's about taking you to a certain place or or making you curious about you know why a wine tastes a certain way, and so. Um, I, I always say that, you know, the, the, the carbon emissions of you drinking an imported wine are still way lower than you having to take a plane and go to that country to drink that wine, you know? So that's, that, that's something we have to, to remember. Um, but, and so the, the way we look at that, you know, because of course, uh, you know, transport is, is such a big concern for us and it's something, you know, we ship from a lot of different countries and, and, you know, of course there's a huge amount of emissions that go into that place, but we just have to, you know, it's impossible to reconcile that completely, but we just have to balance and mitigate and, and cut where we can and do everything, you know, have this kind of fundamental mindset change where everything that we do, every decision that we make has an element of sustainability in mind and, and we do our best where we can, but ultimately we're still having to ship wine to the UK. Um, and and that's, that's just something that we, we yeah, like I said, we, we, we do our best with every little part that we can control and the bits that we cannot control um, we try and, you know, um, group with other importers and do things to try and influence change. Um, but exactly like, like Richard said as well, you know, we, we're, we're small merchants without the sort of like power to change, you know, our freight companies practices. And yeah. So I think that there, there really needs to be a lot more pressure at, at the top when it comes to the, to the bigger groups and, and the bigger uh, drinks companies, because ultimately they're the ones that have a lot more power than us to, to, to actually, you know, encourage change and, and a kind of shift of, um, of um, yeah, a, a mind shift. Miguel, is that something that you consider to be only local um, to, to reduce the length of, of that supply chain? Uh, we, we, that was a question we asked ourselves at the beginning of the company is that uh, we don't want, you know, as we want to grow as a company, is that sustainable for the environment? Are we doing better? And our point of view was that uh, we ask ourselves the question you just asked is that, are we gonna, you know, is USA gonna drink only US wine? I don't, is that, it's not possible. They, you know, they don't produce enough and they don't want to. UK is the same. Uh, you make beautiful sparkling wine and white wine, but you know, red wine, bold, uh, you know, Grenache still has to come from France and other part of the world. Um, so what we want to do is to replace on the shelf for now at the beginning uh, those uh, carbon heavy wines by ethic drinks so we have a better impact at that point. And going only local, we might it's changing. A lot of people are go going there. But in the wine, as Nicola said, it's travel. It's part of history. It's wine, is, wine is not a commodity. I mean, some of the wine is not a commodity. Uh, we drink that for pleasure. So we're still going to have some... Wine is going to travel. The, what we have to, to do is to make sure it travels the best as it can. And uh, maybe part of UK is, you know, try, let's hope that in, you know, five years, all the wine going to UK will go by train from France. That will be a big change already. So um, that will be, and it's easy to do to be, I mean, it's not impossible. You just need uh, the big company to be, go behind it and also the consumer um, starting to get those wine. And to give you an idea, in France and other market, we are priced at seven euro on the shelf. So we, you know, we want to be also to to the main consumer and mass market to be able to make to make a change. So that's a, that's the the big difference. Richard, any any comments on the global yeah. versus local? Yeah, definitely. Of... Well, the thing I was going to say was something that I haven't seen much of, and I think. In, in England is is the, is the zero kilometer concept really 
and, and part of that is the fact that we live in a very gray and slightly wet island, right? You can't grow beautifully ripe tomatoes like in Portugal or somewhere, um, not to the same sort of level. Um, so because of that, our seasonality, it makes the climate more difficult. We know that from the fact we've only really just got into the wine business ourselves in our country. So zero KM more generally is more difficult. But I was going to say, I think, I think that the whole point is we have to give consumers the choice, but also the education to make the choice. Um, so I, if you had, back to the, um, the idea about supply chain and how, long, how far away from the wine comes, if you had an American wine on a, on, on a wine list by the glass and you said, you know, it's £15 for a glass, but you have to pay a premium because of the carbon footprint, how many people would do that? You know, I think that's the education thing that if this carries on being such an important factor for the world and for consumers, people are going to have to start integrating those things at a consumer-facing level. And at the moment, it, 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 it does sort of stop, the book stops with, I think, us as the importers and the people making the ethical decisions. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I, I think uh, the more the restaurants can do, and more consumer-facing businesses can do to educate and give people the choice, the better, really. Um, also, and, oh, sorry. sorry, no, no, good. Sorry. Yeah, just to just to come in on that as well. I think I think we are, you know, we it's, you know, global commerce is it, is here to stay. Yeah, I think I think the way the the, the way consumers are buying, it, it, it's it's, but I think it's going to be very hard to kind of come back to kind of local local level again. And people people are expecting more choice, and so I think we have to be forward thinking in, in how 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 we can provide those goods. And also, obviously, the kind of like the packaging, you know, obviously around that and the materials that's used around that as well. Um, you know, our, our kind of focus is very much on kind of creating efficiencies, you know, around the product. So reducing the amount of material you've required, you know, ju just packaging the bits of the product that need the packaging rather than, you know, stuffing loads of void fill into a, in, into a large box. And so, yeah, I think I think that there's, there's, so, there's so many aspects of this, but I think, I think it's very hard to kind of like, yeah, come back just back to local level and, and commerce in that space and and when you come you know when you talk about fine wine like we do at the Rini, i mean fine wine needs the export market to access the status of being fine wine it's always the export market that gives you that kind of status so we can't really live into our own island and bubble um i think we are um up uh, at the end of of the session and i don't want to go uh, over um, my last question for you it, it was you know related to what you said like how can we convince consumers to pay more for um, with for wines that are distributed with a lighter carbon footprint and and NOx footprint um, I don't know if you guys want to give a 10 second pitch like an argument to anyone that wants to up, upsell um, a carbon friendly wine or a wine that actually has been distributed in in a way that reduces its impact on the environment uh, so that everyone can go home with that pitch on, on how to ask more money <laughs> to the consumer, convince uh, the consumer to pay more money for um, carbon-friendly wines. I mean, a good part, I mean, I would go, and, and a good number is that in France, uh, the consumer are willing to pay 20% more for carbon-free or bio wines. So, you know, that's going to ease your pitch. So... Uh, under 20% you can go with it it will be easy and um, and think about entry level price like someone put 650 pounds 
there is not much to tell about a 650 euro, uh, pounds wine on the shelf. I mean, the, the winemaker story is often very short, as we all know. Uh, but if you can relate that to uh, sustainable and uh, wines that are doing good for the planet, uh, you can make that short story a very long and lasting story. That's uh, great point. That's our point. Nicolas, Richard, Sam. Um, I think for me, I would go back to the point of trying to integrate something to our consumer business that allows them to make the choice for sustainability. Um, but I mean, we've considered that many times there's a te there's technology considerations as well as logistical considerations, you know, they pay for, they pay for sustainable packaging, for example, and then the warehouse don't get it right, then we get shouted at. So there's lots of things to think about, but for me, it's somehow giving consumers the control over uh, the economics and everything and, and, and the impact. Um, but yet to solve that challenge. Take back control. I mean, the, 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 yeah, there's, the, the, there's evidence consumers are prepared to pay more for sustainable products um, and also and, and also prepared to make more for kind of packaging that's more sustainable. You know, it's, a, it's, it's around kind of improving that consumer experience and that part of that experience is, 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 is that sustainability message, you know, for end to end, basically. Um, and if they're getting a very good service with with a product which is really sustainable, um, then yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a happy consumer who'll be purchasing again. Nicola. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would just say you know there, there's been such a hang on. I'm not on mute, am I? No. Okay. No, no, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> Um, there's been such a, a, a huge shift in people's mindsets with regards to the food that they eat and where it comes from and sustainability when it comes to the kind of food chain. Um, and I think the wine world is so far behind in that, um, which is, you know, which is interesting considering, you know, how much um, people know about the food that they eat, but not necessarily the, you know, the wine or any other kind of alcohol that they drink. So um, I think that, you know, we just need to keep pushing uh, that message. I mean, you know, for us personally, if you, you know, if you follow us on, on socials or uh, if you know anything about our, our company, you know, that, that kind of sustainability, sustainability message is always at the forefront. And a big part of that is just education. Um, because the, the more the more you encourage people to think differently about where their wine comes from or how the grapes were grown or, or, or who they're supporting, um, the more those people will be curious and will seek out, uh, you know, trusted places to purchase the wine, um, whether it's a supplier, an importer, or whether it's a wine shop. Um, you know, we're, we're personally very lucky to work with a lot of restaurants, uh, wine shops and bars that also push that message heavily and tend to only stock wines that are made in a certain way and that are grown in a certain way. Um, and so I think that the more people we can get onto, on, onto that board of pushing that message, the more that message will get out and will get across. And, um, and, and, and I think based on the success that the, the food world has had um, with that, I think that there's no reason why the world of wine can't move to, you know, to exponentially more sustainable, um, where sustainability becomes more of the norm as opposed to an exception, this little bubble where there's just a few people really pushing that change. Well, thank you so much, uh, Nicolas, Sam, Richard, Richard, sorry, and Mikael. I didn't know when to take my French accent or not. Uh, and hopefully we've got um, Tom, Toby and Agatha also pushing the message and trying to move and shake the wine industry. So thank you very much, gentlemen, for being with us today. Thank you for being in the audience and Paul and Jessica and, and, and all of you who contributed to the discussion in the chat. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.